From bloated and tired to free and inspired, welcome to Free and Inspired Radio with Philip Watkins, your weekly dose of everything digestion and mental health related. We hope you enjoy this episode. Here is your host, Philip Watkins. Yes, yes. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Free and Inspired Radio. I'm your host, a naturopathic practitioner, Philip Watkins, and I'm grateful to have you with us today. If you're new to the show, well, the title says it all. It's all about feeling free and inspired and exploring the many different avenues you can take to get there, whether it's deep dives on digestion and mental health solutions or guests who offer their own stories and answers. I hope I can be the type of guide you can rely on to unlock the agency you have to reach your own mental and physical competency. Let's get started with what's coming up on today's episode. Coming up on this week's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode 35 of Free and Inspired Radio. Thank you for joining us this week. I hope you've had a good one, however you've been living it. This week, we are looking at appetite control through the lens of the gut and brain connection. So it sounds a little complicated. I'm going to try and simplify it a little bit, but it may be a little bit more in depth than you may be used to from the show, but let's give it a try, right? Appetite control or appetite suppression, as some people refer to it, is a complex symbiosis of hormonal, environmental, behavioral, and dare I say it, bacterial influences. And I did say bacterial, and I'm going to try and touch on that later on in the episode, so don't worry too much. But throughout my study years where I was working in health food shops to pay my way through school, appetite suppression was probably one of the top uh, requests for help, if you like, (laughs) when people were coming in the store. And I'll say then what I said, oh, sorry, I'll say now what I said then, just to better align your expectations about what this episode this episode might, may offer you. So it's challenging to say the least, but suppressing your appetite can be like going to the beach, kneeling at the ocean's edge and trying to stop the waves from coming in. How about you? Do you think you could do that? It's a very difficult process. I'm not saying it's impossible but it might be a little challenging. Now, understanding appetite is what we're aiming to do in this episode. And hopefully, once you can understand the different signals that the brain and the gut use to manage your appetite and some of the dietary interventions you can use to do so, it might help you to start somewhere that's a little bit more focused and maybe puts you at a bit more of an advantage. Today, we're just going to be looking deeper into what we know about the dynamics of hunger and the desire to eat. I'll also offer you some of these ideas on how you might be able to influence these different things over time and especially via the gut-brain connection, which is, of course, what we're all about on Free and Inspire Radio. So let's start off by exploring how hormones in the digestive system and how they are central players in your hunger and fullness experiences. So new to what hormones are in the first place, obviously hormones are a big deal for a lot of people, but hormones affect nearly every organ of your body. And the best way to think of them are as molecules that initiate some form of action at a specific site. 
Another definition I like is that they are messengers carrying signals through the blood to target organs. Their message receiver, often a receptor within a cell, is responsible for acting on the signal and kicking off some form of uh, action, if you like. Before you ask, let's differentiate between hormones like estrogen and progesterone and the hormones we see in the digestion. Now, what the body makes hormones from differentiates how hormones are classified. So let's use estrogen and progesterone and testosterone as an example. Estrogen, progesterone and testosterone are made out of cholesterol. And because of this, they are called steroid hormones. Now, all other hormones, obviously within context, are made from parts of protein called amino acids or collections of amino acids called peptides. Now, if you're new to amino acids, they are the components that all link together to make up the protein in your food. Amino acids have many bodily functions, but the important ones here is that all hormones aside from steroid hormones are made of these amino acids. So that's pretty important. Most notably, the hormones we're going to talk about that are made from these amino acids are hormones in the digestion that influence your hunger. Now, a little known fact is that the digestive system is the body's largest hormone producing organ. I'm going to repeat that. A little-known fact is that the digestive system is the body's largest hormone-producing organ. Crazy. So if you're new to the brain and gut connection, you can listen to it on a few episodes of the show. Just scroll through that list there, and there are a couple of great ones. Uh, should I say so myself? Uh, but just introducing the brain and the gut. But all you need to know for now is that gut hormones work closely with the brain through a portion of the nervous system connected to the digestive system called the enteric nervous system. So not many people know that the digestive system has its own nervous system and it's comprised of almost 100 million neurons, which is kind of crazy, really. Now, these hormones play varying roles that allow the brain to interact with the digestive system around the quality and quantity of food you eat. They also play a role in digesting your food and distributing the energy drawn from that food and, in this case, our theme for the episode, managing your appetite. So these hormones are really important. Let's look at some of the main ones. To make it easier, but just to give you a sense of how hormones contribute to digestion as well as appetite, let's start with one called gastrin, which is one of the crucial hormones that to understand within the stomach. Gastrin's primary function is to manage the hydrochloric acid levels in the stomach. And one of the other functions is to protect the lining of the stomach, small intestine and colon. And one of the reasons why I've brought up gastrin in a small way in comparison to the other hormones, ghrelin and cholecystokinin, which we're going to be looking at in more depth, is because of gastrin and its regulation later on down in down the track in digestion. So hold ghrelin in, in the car park there in the mind and we'll get back to gastrin and sorry we'll get back to gastrin and ghrelin and all of these different hormones i'm already getting them confused but hopefully we'll make sense of them as we move through this episode moving forward in the stomach ghrelin is produced in the stomach and is now one of the key ones for appetite control so its central role is to stimulate your hunger Now, a study conducted in 2004 confirmed this when higher levels of ghrelin were measured in people just before they initiated eating. 
ghrelin is another excellent example of the influence the brain has on digestion. Ghrelin's effect on the way the body uses energy from food is driven mainly by the part of the brain called the hypothalamus. One of the key functions of ghrelin is for the brain to know the body is fed and to influence something called gastric emptying, which is how full you feel, but also very important for the digestion of your food when it travels from the stomach to the small intestine. Remember that ghrelin's primary function here is to make you hungry, and it's interesting to hear about the various factors that influence it. Of course, food intake is the first and principal factor that reduces ghrelin because, you know, if you're hungry, then it's jobs done once you eat, right? But circulating ghrelin also decreases with age, glucose, and insulin intake, but is also higher in females than males, which is super interesting. Now, some research has shown to lower ghrelin levels, and this is exactly where we're going to start after a short break here on Free and Inspired Radio. We're looking into gut hormones and appetite control. We'll be back with more after the break. Hold tight. Woo! Time to take a break. Are you enjoying this episode of Free and Inspired Radio? There's no better time to take back your personal health sovereignty. If you want to connect with more free and inspired episodes, simply subscribe to your favorite podcast platform or visit the website at www.philipwatkins.health for more information. Let's get back to the show. Yes, yes, welcome back to episode 35 of Free and Inspired Radio, where we are delving into how hormones connecting the brain and the gut help us to manage our appetites. Now, in part one, we've just introduced hormones in the gut, and we've started looking deeper into one of the main hormones for hunger, ghrelin, so the hormone that makes you hungry. Now let's look at some of the research on how research on how to lower ghrelin levels with the food that you eat, starting with fiber. So a high fiber meal has seen circulating ghrelin levels decrease. Another study also suggests that your fiber intake can predict your ghrelin levels, which can influence how much ghrelin decreases after you eat. Now, why is that important? Well, if you have more circulating ghrelin post eating there's a better chance you might still feel hungry and that's a little bit different from feeling full now this is also i think quite fascinating but also kind of underlines the complexity and maybe the individuality of how all of these hormones work and as we go through the second part of this show i'm sure it's just only going to get a little bit more complex but i did warn you I'm going to try and make sense of it and bring it all together so you can understand it a little bit easier at the end. Now, an interesting side note to the fiber and ghrelin connection is that combining foods with bioactives called polyphenols uh, to to these high fiber foods can help you decrease your hunger, not not only decrease your hunger, but also improve the way your body deals with triglycerides and other fats that can build up. Now, combining the fiber and the polyphenols contributes to improving cardiovascular and stroke risk down the line. So the interesting part of where I pulled this study was that they were using carob as the fiber source for those who are interested. But it's super 
um, you know, a super good example there of just how food can really bring quite a lot to the table, literally, in not only obviously improving what we're looking at in the show, appetite control, but then having bonus effects in relation to things like cholesterol and other things like that. I'm getting distracted as usual. I don't have anyone to... <laughs> pull me back uh, back on track but I'll hopefully be able to do it a little bit better as we move forward so other dietary interventions that assist with reducing circulating ghrelin levels and regulating your hunger cues are meals higher in carbohydrates so this is interesting so the, the study that I looked at was in 2003 and they compared meals with high in carbohydrates with meals high in fat so when measuring circulating ghrelin in healthy women, levels decreased after both the carbohydrate and fat meals, but the maximum amount decreased was significantly higher in the carbohydrate meal. This larger, more significant decrease caused a greater level of hunger suppression, which the researchers could match up with levels in the blood. Based on what we know above, i.e. glucose and insulin and age affecting ghrelin levels, we other markers uh, measured in the blood during the study we, the reason why the ghrelin and hunger suppression occurred at greater levels was down to the higher carbohydrate meal increasing insulin and glucose level so as i said it the ghrelin is sensitive to the food that you eat and hopefully you're going to start understanding that over the course of different episodes of Free and Inspired Radio, a common misconception is that carbohydrates can make you hungry and are in some way wrong for you. And this, I'm sorry to say, isn't always the case. Don't get me wrong, not all carbohydrates are created equal, but consider that the good carbohydrates often come with higher levels of fiber. So fruits and vegetables, for example, often come with higher levels of fiber and you can have all three contributing factors bringing down your hunger after a meal. And this doesn't just occur in the stomach. Now, I just wanted to make a small note about ghrelin and protein because a lot of time, I think earlier, you know, over the last 10 years, protein has been touted as something that makes you full. And I don't disagree with that, but after looking into some of the research into specifically ghrelin, and protein, the research is actually fairly conflicting on whether or not it helps with hunger suppression. So, however, one thing I will say about protein and its contribution to hormones like ghrelin is that all of these hormones are made out of amino acids. So your protein, you know, we touched on this earlier in the episode, right? Your protein intake and making sure that you've got adequate amounts of those amino acids available means that your body can make these hormones. So that's kind of an indirect uh, contribution to, to the appetite thing here. But let's move on to another hormone made in the small intestine, cholecystokinin or CCK, as we'll refer to it now, because it's just easier. <laughs> CCK is one of the key hormones for the digestion of protein and fat. Now, one of CCK's first discovered function was, functions was to signal the gallbladder and pancreas into action to digest fats and protein. If ghrelin is the hormone that initiates the hunger that makes you eat, then CCK or cholecystokinin is the quarterback that directs the digestion once you've eaten. So I'll repeat that. If ghrelin is the hormone that initiates the hunger that makes you want to eat, 
then CCK, the hormone we're talking about now, is the quarterback that directs the digestion once you've eaten. It signals a decrease in gastric juice. So this is where we brought up gastrin. So I think it actually decreases gastrin, uh, or you know, which then decreases your hydrochloric acid. It regulates the movement of the digestive tract, a process called motility, which if you listen to other episodes of the show about SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and IBS, you'll know that motility is obviously very important, also really important for uh, constipation. So CCK or cholecystokine is really important for motility, which then allows a slow, consistent flow of food into the small intestine for digestion and entry into the body from the stomach. Now, CCK also does something vital for satiety or fullness. It stimulates another hormone called leptin that acts on the brain, resulting in the sensation of feeling full. Now, there's a difference here. There's hunger and then there's feeling full. I don't think the two, I think the two are kind of independent of each other and leptin is one of the main uh, hormones that really helps with helping you feel full. I could put together a 25-minute episode on leptin. I'm not going to go into leptin today. If you're disappointed by that, I'm really sorry. There are multiple studies connecting ghrelin and leptin. Uh, As I said, it's a bit too intense for these types of shows. Um, But as I said, CCK does help you to create leptin, which helps you keep full, which I think is kind of enough to know when we're looking at appetite control. I'm going to get distracted a little bit again, (laughs) just because I like to emphasize just how connected the brain and the gut and the way these hormones do that, you know, emphasize that connection. CCK also has an intense effect on the fear and anxiety centers in the brain, would you believe? And before we back, jump back to the role of CCK and help you st- and how it helps you stay full, an interesting part of the research into CCK's role in the body is its contribution to anxiety. So we see high levels of CCK in the emotional part of the brain called the limbic system. So while studies are in their early stages, initial reports suggest that cholecystokinin or CCK can make people with anxiety and patients panic symptoms more sensitive that's crazy right so here we are looking at a hormone that you know and how it affects your appetite how it affects you feeling full and etc and all of a sudden there's this huge effect on this role in the brain as well so just a really interesting um distraction there again let's get back to it though people who have diet induced obesity are less sensitive to the effects of cck this is where it gets interesting when it but when we're looking at dietary interventions for CCK, can you guess the first dietary intervention that might improve or enhance CCK in the body? I wonder, a high-fiber diet can enhance the CCK system via soluble fiber's ability to increase molecules called short-chain fatty acids made by the bacteria in your gut. So here we go. We I mentioned bacteria at the beginning of the episode, And you guessed it, the high-fiber diet can improve the bacteria's ability to uh, work or basically improve your microbiome so that you can create short-chain fatty acids and enhance CCK's ability. So that's kind of cool, right? Now, a high-fiber diet makes the body more sensitive to the effects of CCK, and this improved sensitivity in turn helps you both digest your food better, then tell the brain that you've eaten enough. 
Interestingly, a Western-style diet that can increase inflammation in the body, which is a little bit, there's a little bit conjecture about whether or not diets are inflammatory or not. I'm not going to go into that in that episode, but look, we make these grand statements, but sometimes, you know, there's a little bit of nuance in them, but for the sake of what we're doing here, inflammation can inhibit the effects of cholecystokinin or CCK, and early studies in animals show that high-fat and high-carbohydrate diets cause an increase in the resistance to the effects of cholecystokinin. So just like you can have insulin resistance, you can also have resistance to the effects of cholecystokinin as well. And it seems like a high-fat, high-carbohydrate diet that we see aligned with a Western-style diet can increase that. This is actually interesting to me because Something makes me wonder if that's why people actually gravitate to high-fat and high-carbohydrate kind of Western junky diets when with their mental health, uh, where they're experiencing a mental health episode because basically if a high-fat and high-carbohydrate diet suppresses cholecystokinin and its effects, then maybe it's actually suppressing cholecystokinin's effects in the brain, which makes you more sensitive to anxiety and panic. So suppressing CCK, does it also suppress that sensitivity to anxiety and panic? That is not science. That is just me, you know, excuse the language, talking shit um, and wondering whether or not there is any connection. I could obviously be way off if you're an expert in these types of things and you want to contact me. Let's talk uh, and help me learn more so that we can learn more together, right? So I wasn't lying when I said appetite control is a complex business. What do you think? Um, Appetite control mediated by the gut and the brain is one of those subjects you can just get lost in the galaxy of connections between different hormones, receptors, and everything in between. I always say that we've just touched the tip of the iceberg here, and I've really been inspired by putting this episode together to actually find an expert who can try and bring this together. So look, leave that with me. I'll see whether or not I can find someone who can teach us all uh, in a better way about how these, uh, how the diet and these hormones really play a role. But hopefully you've got a small idea about how the gut and the brain combine to regulate both the function of your digestion and from there your hunger and fullness cues. I also hope that this goes to show yet another example of how a high-fiber diet can be beneficial to managing the gut and brain connection in this case your appetite control both through ghrelin managing your hunger and cck helping you to stimulate the hormone that tells your brain that you're full cool stuff in my mind before we finish this free and inspired episode we i would love to hear more if you would like to hear more from me and get the word on new articles podcast episodes and more jump over to the website philipwatkins.health and join the community there via the newsletter uh, signing up on the homepage if you want to or there's obviously we're up to 34 articles there uh, we've got all the references if you love journals, so please just go and dive into the website if you want to. It's there for free. Your reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify help me get the word on the street. And if you are listening to this on YouTube, throw the video a like and subscribe to see when each new podcast is uploaded, which is generally weekly. So I hope you're, really, you're enjoying the content here. Uh, I'm I always do this, but look, if you're one of those people that's getting to this point in the episode, 
big shout out to you. It really does help to listen to all of the the, the episode, and I hope that this this uh, your this show is about all about getting you to find the freedom to feel inspired again. And once again, I hope this episode gets you one step closer. Until next week, don't forget to take care of yourself and those around you. And we'll be back next week with more free and inspired radio. Thank you. We'll be back soon. you made it to the end this show is all about you and we hope you finished this episode feeling one step closer to feeling free and inspired we'll be back next week but if you want to know more about philip please catch a digital flight to www.philipwatkins.health for further details about how we might be able to help in the meantime have a great morning afternoon or evening and we'll see you for another episode next week